Support for this show comes from Sylvan Learning. When children love learning, they can tackle any challenge life throws at them. Sylvan's insight assessment can help you determine if your child is ready for what's ahead. It can also identify gaps in learning and point out areas that could be of concern for your child so they can tackle what's to come. And right now, it's the best price of the year at $29. Go to sylvan29.com to learn more and get your child's assessment for only $29. That's S-Y-L-V-A-N-29.com. Music means one thing. It is six o'clock on Wednesday night. Time for Arrowhead Pride Radio. I'm Jay Binkley with the editor in chief, ArrowheadPride.com, Pete Sweeney. Kristen Ocero again produces this operation. Good evening, Pete. Good evening, Jay. It's AFC Title Week. Here we are again. Right? We've third, won a lot of games lately. We, we talk about a lot of wins. We talk about a lot of wins. Chiefs beat the Browns 22 to 17. Period Twitter account, uh, Pete. Andy Reid said the only Chiefs players that didn't practice was Willie Gay. Right. Sounds like Patrick Mahomes did whatever the concussion protocol allowed him to do. We'll talk a lot about that here in a second. Bashad Breeland, who's also in protocol. Clyde Fitton Watkins also practiced in some capacity. Here's the head coach, Big Red. So the guys that really, the only guy that didn't practice today was. Uh, Willie Gay. So um, everybody else was out there and uh, in some form or another and, and working. So uh, Breland, uh, Hilaire, Fenton, Mahomes, and Sammy all did did some work. Um, today's you know not the not the biggest part. Tomorrow's bigger practice, longer practice than what today is. But they all seem to make it through well, and we'll just see how it how it goes. Um, uh, tomorrow. So. so there's the first injury report of the week. We'll get these, uh, not necessarily from Andy, but we'll get an injury report every single day. Andy did yeah. address Patrick Mahomes. Yeah, um, so he looked good. He's just, uh, he's in the protocol. So they, there's only certain things he can do, and <clears throat> and it's a limited basis, but today is a little bit limited practice. So he this fit right into what he could do. and and um, But he took all the snaps, and he feels he feels good. So, I mean, we just, we're just going to follow this protocol uh, as close as we possibly can. So. so there's the latest on Patrick Mahomes, Pete. Uh, he did take all the snaps today. Today is kind of a limited day. They don't wear the pads. Tomorrow practice really right. starts amping up. Yeah, I, I think today was that 10-10-10 practice you sometimes hear about where you're trying to rest the guys a little bit. It is more of just kind of making sure that you're staying in shape. It does seem like the big game preparation day is on Thursday. And so uh, we'll see what happens here. Initially, the Chiefs had put out that Mahomes was a full participant. They revised that and said he was limited. But when Reed says the thing such as he got all the snaps, you have to assume that that is a, a sign in the right direction. Well, there's a reason why it was full participant or limited instead of full. Because you're in concussion protocol and you can't quote beyond full. That's why they right. It was. It yeah. seemed like he was full, but yeah. with a technicality. Yeah. And I think you know that's a positive sign. That's as positive as, as you want going into this weekend. I mean, you know, I was asked before about percentage of him playing in this game. I think you're higher than ninety percent right now. I'd put it, it ninety five, ninety six. Yeah. I, I don't know, ninety nine percent. I mean, I, I just have full confidence up. to play when he ran to the locker room. 
Yeah. I was like, okay. Now, I've debated this at the barbershop. I've debated this <laughs> around. What actually happened to Patrick Mahomes? Do you believe it was a concussion? Or do you believe that it was just a fluke tackle with the old brachial stunner they do in the Army, where if you hit somebody in the neck at the right way, if you want me to demonstrate, I can hit you in the no, neck, Pete. That's, we'll that's see right. if you pass out. On that side of the but, but you hit somebody in the neck, studio. and you can't pass out. It was almost more like that, but that's still head trauma, well, which would be yeah, under protocol. I, I've said this a couple times, and I haven't really loved the analysis of trying to guess what this is when we know how serious concussions are. I mean, the bottom line to me was that... It was announced he was being evaluated for a concussion, and then whatever test he was given, he didn't pass because he was ruled out of the game and didn't come. There was back. one question he didn't answer right. Okay, I mean, but I mean, we're, this is still like you know someone's brain, and so like I just have wanted to be sure, and and it seems to be trending in that direction. It seems like they're checking off all the boxes. The, the NFL has fixed this over the years, which is a good thing. And yeah, I think we're leading into what will be Patrick Mahomes and Josh Allen. What were you thinking when he went down? I'm curious what your mindset was. Well, initially, I, I thought there was no way he was coming back into the game. And, you know, I, I only felt that because whenever you see someone visibly stagger like that, we had seen that before dating years back to when Kelsey got concussed in that Titans playoff game. And you just had that feeling that he wasn't coming back. And then shortly after, I, you know, when you're in game and you're trying to evaluate, I was trying to think, you know, can they get this done with Chad Henney? And I wasn't sure. I wasn't sure because I thought the Browns looked pretty good. I thought Baker Mayfield looked pretty good. And then, especially when they got the ball back with eight minutes left, that's when I said, yeah, this, this might finally be the end of this run since, you know, the fourth quarter of the Super Bowl. And lo and behold, the Chiefs get this stop. And then Henny comes on and that run that you know, nobody here will ever forget, followed by the gutsiest call maybe You've seen. You mean Kansas this City. run, Pete? Ball will be snapped in the center of the field, and Henny wants to throw it. Henny's scrambling and comes to the near side. He's at the 40, 45, 50. Henny dies. He's close to a first down at the 49-yard line. This is... Really, really close. Chad Henny jumps up and waves his arm toward the stands. <laughs> that was unbelievable. It was unbelievably close, too. That, that Had he it. got that first down, we wouldn't have the magic. What happens next? Yeah, and that's, I, I think... Now that the Chiefs have won that game, you're kind of glad that he was short because you had this really special play and this almost new level of psyching out the opponent and uh, out, you know, strategically beating them by just using the play clock. It just has never really been done before where you faked this, what has been a relatively new school thing where you bring it down to the one second mark, you call a timeout, then you think about it yourself. That's clearly what the Browns thought was happening. And they snapped the ball. Here's how rare that play was, Pete. When you think about just the significance of what that play was, according to Pro Football Reference, not counting plays where the team was just running out the clock, the Chiefs are the first team in the da their database to call a pass on fourth down on their side of the field in the last 90 seconds of a game with a one-score lead. The Chiefs are the first team to do that. This is how, well, this will be, uh, when the Chiefs 2020 book is written, <laughs> this will be a huge part of it. But I don't think it may was the biggest play. They snap it. They're going for it. They flood it right. Cut. Tyreek Hill stays in bounds. The same play that they closed the game at against New Orleans. They do it to Cleveland. And Chad Henney out of the bullpen. Incredible job on a third and 14 scramble for 15. They called 13 and a half. 
comes back on a roll to the right side, deking Cleveland into thinking they were going to run the clock, and they find Tyreek Hill on the right flat. The Kansas City Chiefs are going to advance in the AFC playoffs. One of the gutsiest calls we'll ever see, Pete. This has been talked about in football circles. Right. The cojones on Coach Andy Reid in this situation. But I ask you this. Mm. Mr. Arrowhead Pride, you deal with a lot of listeners. Was that the biggest play of the game? Is it the one we remember because it was last? Or was Dirty Dan stopping a touchdown when you win by five points and he essentially saved you seven on that play by Higgins? Yeah, well, that was the drive that I think gave me pause at the end of the game because Baker Mayfield on uh, the drive you're referring to is the end of the first half. Where Sorensen pops the ball out. At the, at he was rolling, play. and he was hitting guys down the sideline, making some good wow. throws, and I, I felt like he was in the zone all of a sudden. And then, yeah, Dirty Dan, I'm calling I'm calling him this week uh, Divisional Dan Division, <laughs> because he had a nice game last year as well in the Divisional round. I hope people don't forget about that play. When we celebrate Henny so much, let's not forget with Dirty Dan there. But time to flip the page. Okay. Zero's on the clock. 17 points for the Bills, three for the Baltimore Ravens, and the Buffalo Bills advance to the AFC Championship game next Sunday. First time they're in the AFC Championship game since 1994 when they faced Joe Montana and Jim Kelly. Joe Montana with the Chiefs, kind of like Tom Brady with the Bucs, right? Right. Am I right? Am right. I right? It's the same situation. Their last trip, that was the last of the four run that they have where the Chiefs faced them in 94. They weren't overly impressive. Teron Johnson's 101-yard return really iced that game away. Lamar Jackson going in the concussion protocol kind of helped them out when Huntley, who's been on their practice squad most of the year, is in a quarterback. Yeah. 220 yards of offense. That game didn't blow me away. I said this on a podcast earlier this week, and, and it sticks with me. I don't know where this super confidence in Buffalo is coming from every every which angle, you know? And, and, and I look at that game, and it was more like a, a defensive struggle. And Lamar Jackson, he basically handed the Buffalo Bills what was a 12-point swing, where it would have been 10-10, and then all of a sudden it's 17-3. And yeah, they could have tied the game up there. Right. He just didn't see the defender, and the, he went and, and he had the 101-yard interception return for a touchdown, and then he goes out of the game. And, you know, it, a completely different story than Kansas City because you're already down two touchdowns. You know, like, if the Chiefs had been down two scores like that, and then Mahomes is hurt, you're sort of out of it. That's what happened to Baltimore. And yeah, I, I look, I, I think Buffalo deserves to be here for sure. I just question, I, I, I think the Chiefs are a better team. I mean, that's just frankly where I'm, where I'm at right now. They are playing good football. In their last eight, they're averaging 34 points a game. They're yielding just 17 points a game. I will say this, though, in their three losses, they've yielded 200 yards rushing a game. Here's Andy Reid on how the Bills and the Chiefs are different. Uh, it looks like they're they're healthy. I mean, they were missing a couple guys at that time and uh, key guys, and so I I think that they've got everybody back and they're and they're playing at a high level. I mean, they've reeled off quite a few games there in a row of victories, and um, like I said, they're well coached and they're a good player. So. Herbie, they're, they're playing good football right now. And it was week six of the regular season. Here's Josh Allen, the quarterback of the Bills. Today in his press conference, does he look back to that Chiefs game? Can he take anything away from it? And what's he expecting? Well, yeah, I mean, they, they showed a couple different things on defense and stuff we probably weren't expecting, um, you know, and I think we've, we've gotten a lot better since that game. Um, you know, they can say the same thing. And 
it's just two good teams that are going to go out there and compete, and it's going to be a, a four-quarter dogfight. We know that. We understand that. Um, we got to do everything in our power to, like I said, put our best foot forward and um, not make dumb, dumb, not make dumb mistakes and, and put the ball where it needs to be. If they go their zone or if they play man, we got to win our matchups outside and get our run game established and uh, you know play really good complementary football. Is there differences? Because to me, you can throw that game tape away. Week six, that was when their run defense was really struggling. It yeah. has gotten better, although the Colts ran for one sixty three on them, and they got some reinforcements back too. But Matt Milano was huge. Yeah, Matt Milano, and they all talk, they're twelve and zero when he plays. That's the line, the Will linebacker for the Buffalo Bills, Matt Milano. That's an absolute stud with them. They're really limiting the run and everything else. When he plays, but the last eight games, 34 points a game, giving up just 17. The Bills are better than that Chiefs team, but the Chiefs came out there and pounded the rock. They weren't really throwing yeah. it around the yard with Mahomes. That game has no bearing on what goes on Sunday. Yeah, I think in either direction. Like, I don't think it's more likely the Chiefs are going to lose, and I don't think just because they dominated, they're going to dominate again in, in this game. I had mentioned this on the drive earlier today. What I find interesting is... Yeah, Buffalo, they went with the light boxes a little bit. Clyde dominated 161. But you go to the fourth quarter, and Clyde in that fumble, remember that? Mm-hmm. And Buffalo almost had the ball down six. They almost won that game. And and so what I'm saying there is I, I think you can take some things from the game. Like I wouldn't be shocked to see a similar strategy to go at the Chiefs where you're saying, okay, you're not going to beat us through the air and you know run the football. And what's different now is that Josh Allen is certainly better. Like that to me is the big difference with Allen. He he seemed like he was out of his element when he faced the Chiefs the first time. I don't expect to see that same version of him when the Bills arrive in Kansas City. Josh Allen, he's seen the Chiefs a lot. Does he feel he needs to match them score for score? Well, the pressure is you, you, to win the game, you got to score more than them. Um, that's exactly what it is. And they do such a good job of moving the ball and scoring. And uh, it could be two plays over the top, or it could be a 15-play drive where, you know, Patrick's just finding his, his outlets and they're using their RPOs. And, um, you know, I've watched enough games of them this, you know, this year uh, just as a spectator at home on the couch um, while they're playing on Monday night or Sunday night, whatever the case is. Big fan. Um, you know, and they just they play really good football. It's a team that seems like they, they really care about each other, too. And they've, like I said, they've been in this situation before. So, um, you know, their sides are the same as ours. And uh, one team's going to win, one team's going to go home. So, um, you know, we got to do everything in our power to make sure that we're the, the team surviving. The Bills were supposed to have fans the first time the Chiefs played them. Obviously, they didn't. And they finally allowed a few fans to attend in the playoffs. It's much different. Now, teams at home are 127, 128, 1. They're under 500 in the NFL for the first time ever. Right. But this was Josh Allen and what he expects at Airway. He's never played here. Yes, yeah, it's, it's definitely going to be uh, an adjust when we get there kind of thing. Um, we're preparing for it, uh, but until you're in that moment, you're, you're not really sure what to expect. And I've never played in Arrowhead, but everybody tells me the fans are right on top of it, and it's going to get extremely loud with 17,000 people. Um, you know, they're extremely energetic fan base. Um you know, and again, when, when they get things rolling, it gets super loud in there. So, uh, you know, we're, we're practicing for it, but until we get in the game, we won't know. This gets 25% of how loud it will be, Josh. They were loud. The, the, the so, fans over there were extremely loud. They did their part. Yeah, I, I expect the same. I mean, if not more this week when you have the Super Bowl trip for the second year in a row on the line, like why wouldn't it be even louder than last week by a little bit, you know? 
How amazing is it, Andy Reid, the first coach in the AFC since the merger to go to three straight AFC title games at home? Even the Patriots didn't do that. They had to play on the road in the title game from time to time. And he's the only NFC coach ever to do it as well. That is the mark of consistency. That is actually a really big thing for Andy Reid because he's the only coach in both conferences. You know, the last step of him being in the conversation for one of the greatest coaches ever is racking up these Super Bowls. And so I, I think he realizes that. And and that's why when you're here and, and you're this close, you got to get it done. And again, it starts with, with Sunday. Very impressive by Reed. And I think it speaks to the mind meld that is Mahomes and Reed and, and how difficult it is to, to beat them. This is Arrowhead Pride Radio brought to you by the Kansas Lottery. Coming up next, Kent Swanson, offensive guru for ArrowheadPride.com. Would the Chiefs do well against the Browns defense? And what's he expect the Chiefs to do against the Bills defense this Sunday? That's next. This is Arrowhead Pride Radio, presented by the Kansas Lottery, 610 Sports Radio. Support for this show comes from Sylvan Learning. As a parent, you want your child to have every opportunity. But giving them the tools they need to tackle every challenge, that takes a team. Now more than ever, educational support tailored exactly to what your child needs can make all the difference. That's why parents have trusted Sylvan Learning for 45 years as the ultimate teammate in their child's educational journey, instilling in them a love for learning and a passion for reaching the next level. And Sylvan's insight assessment can identify gaps in learning and areas that could be of concern for your child. It's a 360-degree view into your child's learning that you can't find anywhere else and helps ensure that your child didn't miss something in school that might put them at a disadvantage in the future. And right now, it's the best price of the year at $29. Go to sylvan29.com to learn more and get your child's assessment for only $29. That's S-Y-L-V-A-N-29.com. Welcome back to Arrowhead Pride Radio, brought to you by the Kansas Lottery. Jay Binkley, Pete Sweeney, the editor-in-chief of ArrowheadPride.com. And joining us now, offensive film guru, lead draft and film analyst for ArrowheadPride.com. Also does the KC Draft Guide as well. Good evening, Ken. Jay Binkley, there is a chance. If things go the way that they're supposed to this weekend, that we will be doing this show, me and Craig will be calling in from Mobile, Alabama for the draft. You know what? That would be incredible. But you and I know that during the combine, we're not going to have it this year, right? You, you understand. Have you got out of the fetal position yet? I, uh, I'm still recovering from that. I'm still <laughs> recovering from that. Because that's a huge, I mean, that's a big piece of the evaluation process. I know. Now we're just going to be blind. Regional know, scouting like, combines. But anyway. Hey guys, this is Arrowhead Pride Radar, not Nerd, nerd Pride Radar. <laughs> well, you, uh, Ken, I like to nerd out. I in know, the I get it. I get it. Uh, Kent uh, LaVon Swanson, this is for you. Uh, when Patrick Mahomes went down, your reaction was what? I was already very uneasy because of the foot. Like, I was very nervous watching him throw the remainder of that first half, and all of those emotions were kind of there. Because he couldn't plant his feet? Is that, this might still be a concern. He looked so rough early in that, the, the remainder of that first half. Early on after the injury, it was just, it, he was, his feet were different. Like, the way he was setting, 
uh, back there and his ability to throw left was struggling. So I already had that anxiety going. I was like, oh, great. He's going to be trying to hobble through the playoffs now. But then you throw in and you compound that with him actually being ruled out for the game with, with concussion protocol. I just, I think, I think I lost like five pounds that day just with all the anxiety. Well, what's interesting about that, Kent, is the injury report comes out today. Everyone's been watching this thing like a hawk and for good reason because of the concussion protocol, but also listed on there is Patrick Mahomes with a toe. Are you still concerned about this going into the Bills game? There's some very good drugs that uh, are able to be available to those players <laughs> in the National Football League. Uh, so, you know, you saw him come out of the half, and he looked a lot better. And they might have they put some painkiller to help him kind of manage that issue. And I'm sure that's probably what will happen the remainder of the playoffs. Um, he, served, I mean, he, he looked fine. I mean, he looked fine enough that they ran that option play again, which is why yes. he got hurt. Yeah. You know, so his movement skills looked a lot better. He didn't look like he was compensating as much out of the half. And I think that's probably, you know, I think they'll be able to manage the pain and allow it, you know, kind of help him manage that pain uh, in, a, in a massive game if he does play. Oh, oh, if he plays, right, guys? I mean, if. We'll see. Hey, you know what, though, Kent, as far as that game is concerned with, with, the, with the Browns, we know about their defense. I didn't respect their defense a ton. But when we look at Buffalo now and their defense, the way they've been playing the last eight games, giving up 17 points a game, Matt Milano's been huge. They're undefeated when he plays. That's a Will Linebacker uh, for the Bills. How much of a difference do you think he makes, and how much better is this defense playing? Are we going with linebacker wins now, Bink? No, yes. I, I, I'm I going with linebacker that. wins, damn it. <laughs> that is a very Jay Binkley take if I've ever heard one. They brought but it up. They brought Milano. it up in Buffalo today, and they brought it up in Kansas City. It was a Harold brought it up. <laughs> it wasn't Pete. It was Harold. It was a Harold question. Well, there's, a, there's about to be a loss there. You know, you gotta you gotta regress down to the knees. I do like Matt Milano a lot. He's a he's a former safety. A lot of athleticism. He's a good coverage player. He does add an additional layer of athleticism to that group. You have him. Yeah. And uh, Entryman Edmonds, the uh, the linebacker there, two very athletic guys. Um, it does definitely present some additional problems, and it, and it does allow them to get a little bit more athletic. Maybe tighten some of those windows if the Bills are going to sit back and play a ton of zone. Like that's a guy that definitely can help them. Uh, I'm not buying into linebacker wins though. I mean, Patrick Mahomes has lost one game in the last 25. I think All right, I like can't, that. Can't, there, can't, can't. All right, I want you to listen to this. This is Harold Koontz, Fox 4. Uh, Matt Milano, the Bills are 12-0, and 0, and they've averaged, I think, 18.6 points defensively given up. It's like one of the top. 17.1. What is it about him specifically being the quarterback on the defense that you guys face? A ch- there you go, Matt Milano question. I guess that, I mean, he called him the quarterback of the defense, so maybe it is yes. quarterback. <laughs> yes, that's from Harold. Kent, flipping to the other side of that, right? You have this running back situation. It, it's seeming like Clyde Edwards-Alaire, he was limited today. I haven't seen him since week 15, but it's seeming like he could be back regardless of that. Is the best option at running back for the Chiefs right now Daryl Williams? Uh, I, I think it's hard to argue. I mean, Daryl Williams, you know, he had he averaged 6.0 yards per carry against the, the Cleveland Browns, and Nick Chubb and Kareem Hunt averaged 5.3 yards per carry that game. Both of them, both of them have the same thing. So Daryl Williams is a highly productive runner. You know what you're getting with Daryl Williams. You know He's going to be a no-nonsense runner, downhill, between the tackles, not going to make a ton of people miss, but he's going to put his head down. He's going to run behind his pads. But he's also he's their best pass blocker in pass protection, and he does enough as a pass catcher that he's at least a, a little bit of a, a, a capable threat. You think he's better There's than Le'Veon Bell blocking, Kip? Yeah, 
Yeah, no, I think so at this point in his wow. career. I think there's, you know, a willingness to block. Daryl Williams has it. And a lot of that is that attitude and that willingness. Daryl has that. I mean, he's got, he's not flashy. He's not flashy by any stretch of the word, but Le'Veon Bell has not been particularly productive this year. And I think the Chiefs just made the decision, but perhaps that, you know, Daryl Williams, he's not overly dynamic, but he's going to get the stuff that's there. Well, is it a product of the system? Is it doing your assignments? Because let's face it, when you're facing a Mahomes-led Chiefs team, the run is not really your concern. It's Patrick Mahomes, number one, number two, number three, and number four. No box safeties, no eight men in the box. You should be able to run the football. Let's be honest here. Yeah, I mean, they're running the light boxes a lot. You saw the last time these two teams, the, the Bills and the Chiefs, played. I mean, they, the Chiefs gashed them on the ground. Absolutely. I mean, they absolutely dominated. Now the Bills are playing those light boxes. Um, yeah, absolutely the pass game should be the prioritization for any team trying to go up against the best player in the world. I don't care. Obviously, you're out there and Rodgers on a great year. The best player in the world in Kansas City. He's playing on Sunday. Um, but, I, yeah, I, I think, you know, there is a value to – being able to protect Mahomes and just simply doing your job and not trying to do more than you need to because Patrick Mahomes will be, be more than enough for them, for that team to kind of handle everything else. Ken, last question for me. How much more important is having Sammy Watkins this week than last week? This is the week you need playoff Sammy. And hopefully it's playoff Sammy. And, you know, I, I, Sam, Sammy hasn't looked really the same since early in the year. And it kind of remains to be seen what he looks like coming out of this injury because we really haven't seen much of him recently. But we know what kind of player Sammy Watkins at his best is. Even in this this season, we've seen some explosiveness from Sammy Watkins. He presents a lot more problems, um, you know, for a defense because he's reliable. He's a guy that can make tough, tough catches in the middle of the field. He's a willing blocker. He's good with the ball in his hands, and he's a legitimate downfield threat. So if you're matched up, if you're really worried about Tyree Kill and Travis Kelsey, which teams justifiably are, this is when playoff Sammy comes into play. These big opportunities wind up coming. And I trust him more than any other guy on the roster outside of, of Kelsey and Hill to make those plays in the past game. That's Kent Swanson. Hopefully we talk about a win next week and look towards the Super Bowl. You can follow Kent on Twitter at Kent underscore Swanson, lead draft and film analyst for ArrowheadPride.com. Thanks a ton, Kent. Anytime, folks. There you go. Thank you to Kent Swanson there for joining us on the Comfort Systems Heating and Cooling Hotline. Well, it is good stuff, and we need to talk defense as well. That's right. You've got a guy for that. His name is Craig Stout. Defense wins championships. One of the best in the business who's also added the title of special teams analyst. Mm. We talk to Craig Stout next. This is Arrowhead Pride Radio, presented by the Kansas Lottery, 610 Sports Radio. Welcome back to Arrowhead Pride Radio, brought to you by the Kansas Lottery. Jay Binkley with the editor-in-chief, arrowheadpride.com. Pete Sweeney that you can hear every day at 5 a.m. with Dusty Likens called Run It Back Special. Right here on 610 Sports Radio. Yeah, running back playoff show, 5 to, five to 6 a.m. If you're up commuting to work or you can't sleep. And we got a podcast, too. It's podcasted as well, so yeah. you can listen to it at your leisure. But trust me, Pete gets in here at the crack of dawn even earlier than that 5 a.m. to make sure you have a good show. Him and Dusty do an awesome job on that. Right now, joining us on the Comfort Systems and Heating Cooling Hotline is defensive film and special teams analyst <laughs> Craig Stout at Barley Hop on Twitter. What's up, Craig? Are you enjoying this uh, special teams title you gave yourself last week? 
Yes, I'm, I'm really enjoying it. I'm also enjoying not being in the studio at 5 a.m. Yeah. Goodness, Pete, what, what, what is going on with you, man? Pete does not sleep. He's a good dude. When it's time to run it back, we have to do special He shows. asked me how I do it. I said, a lot of energy drinks, Pete. That's what you do. You there's, inject them in your veins. There's only so much air open on this station. You yeah. got you to gotta figure it out when yeah. it is. I'm going to start coming in 3 to 5 a.m., Craig. <laughs> Oof. Woof, I'll let you have that one, baby. <laughs> hey, you want to be a guest? First guest, 3.30 in the morning. No, I'm just kidding. I'm not doing any of that. Um, <laughs> Let's talk about this Chiefs defense against the Browns and what uh, Josh Allen, the, the, this team is averaging 34 points a game. Not a great offensive game against the Ravens. But besides that, the last eight games, they were averaging 34 points a game. All right, let's look at the Chiefs defense. I thought they played extremely well against that Browns running game. Yeah, they definitely played extremely well against that Browns running game. They really, like we talked about a little bit last week, they were gap sound. They they did their job incredibly well. They even did a good job peeling the defensive end off to defend the bootleg as well. It's not going to be a flashy box score stat game for anybody you know on that Chiefs defense outside of maybe Tyron Matthew, who was everywhere. But they did a really good job of building the wall up front filling the alleys on the outside and not giving Kareem Hunt and Nick Chubb much room to run. That forced Baker Mayfield to have to throw the ball. And any time you hold a quarterback to 5.5 yards per attempt, that's a good game for a defense. So I really feel like they were good this past weekend. Well, here's the deal, Craig. And I, I didn't think Stefanski called a good game, to be honest with you. And I'll go back to that Pittsburgh game. And I know they, they, they rolled Steelers out of the, out of the Heinz field, but Stefanski was back at home. They didn't, they didn't, go to the running game, and they didn't keep the running game consistent, especially when they had that early lead against Pittsburgh. I saw a team that really failed to try to develop the run against the Chiefs. Just 18 yards in the first half, they started running the ball much better in the second half. But to me, they did not dedicate themselves to the running game, which really hurt them in the play action. It kind of did a little bit, and the focus that they had was to try and run to the edges, really attack the outside, which in theory, you know, with the Chiefs' second level, Anthony Hitchens, Damian Wilson, and missing Willie Gay, you had Ben Neiman back there. Those aren't the most fleet of foot players, and so I'm sure on paper they were thinking, we're going to attack the edges, we're going to try and get outside and get these guys into space. Well, what they didn't really expect was that the Chiefs were going to funnel their slot defenders and their safety down downhill very aggressively. You saw multiple times that Tyron Matthew would flash into the backfield, force a cutback, or luxurious Sneed on the other side, force a cutback. And so they, they kind of came out and tried to attack the edges early, and they were, they were getting negative plays out of it. And so, frankly, they kind of had to shift the way that they were approaching. They shifted their first 15. They had to go throwing a little bit more because they were so far behind the sticks early, and that just resulted in kind of this big snowball effect downhill. Really good credit to Steve Spagnuolo for identifying that they were going to try and do that because he really took it away early. Craig, I, I've kind of talked to you about this before, but I, I'd love you to update us. Just what is Legereus Sneed and, and that new role he had when he came back meant for Tyron Matthew, who just continues to look like potentially one of the best defensive players in football each and every week? I mean, he has been outrageously good. I, I can't overstate how good he's been, not just for a rookie, but for a player on this team. He was picked on a little bit in coverage this week. They definitely threw volume targets at him, but he wasn't giving up big, big yardage. He wasn't giving up big plays, and his ability to be an 
active participant in the run game, and then also to be able to shift outside. When Bishop Breeland went out, he kicked out to the boundary. I don't think anybody really noticed a massive difference on the boundary with him out there for the end of the game. It really is just a week-to-week phenomenal performance that allows Tyron Matthew to do things like he was in that interception, like he is in the run game. It allows him to be a more active participant and a chess piece for Steve Spagnolo. You saw on that interception, he just kind of got to hang out in the middle of the field yeah. and jump the route, read the quarterback's eyes. That's when he's at his best. That's when he's at his best, making the most impact for this team. And luxurious need is a big reason why. We know that the Chiefs are going to have to contain Allen, right? And he's playing a lot better than he was the last time the Chiefs saw him. Curious what your answer is to Stefan Diggs, who, I mean, we just talked about the best in the league. He could be the best wide receiver in the league. What do the Chiefs do against him? I mean, can, can you take a tire iron? No, I mean, he, he's the best receiver in the league, top three easily. I think that he is the best. He's just outrageously good literally everything that you could ask a receiver to do. He's an exceptional route runner. He's exceptional at the catch point, and he can be a vertical stretch guy. He's just outrageously good. The Chiefs are going to have to bracket him. They're going to have to play physical with him at the line to try and disrupt some of the timing, which they have the cornerbacks to do. But I expect that they're going to shade a safety over him and maybe have their hook defender play a little bit more middle of the field, kind of make a triangle around Stephon Diggs, try and keep him contained. Don't give those easy throwing lanes. Don't give that easy stuff over the top either. They're really going to have to focus on that, especially if Gabe Davis can't play. That's a massive injury. I know that John Brown's there. I know that Cole Beasley's there. But Gabe Davis has been their guy down the stretch. Part of the reason why they've been so good, he did not practice today. If he misses, that kind of allows that defense to shift a little bit more towards Diggs, and that's going to help contain him a little bit better than they did than some of these teams have done down the stretch. Yeah, Cole Beasley didn't look himself in that last game. Uh, the Chiefs, though, this year, they really haven't let a receiver dominate them. I think through 10 weeks, they had given up fewer wide receiver receptions than anybody else in the league. There hasn't been that game where a wide receiver just dominates the Chiefs. Yeah, they've done a good job of adjusting the defense to take that away. And, I mean, they've faced a lot of really good wide receivers this year. Realistically, the only guy that got them was, you know, like a Henry Ruggs in that Oakland game where there was multiple coverage busts. But when they've been on the same page, they've been fairly locked down. And I think that people don't really think of it that way. I think people look at Charvarius Ward, Bashad Breland, you know, Legarius Need even, and said, you know, say that this is just kind of a run of the mill average group. But Steve Spagnolo's scheme and the way that those guys execute it at a very high level because they're all very smart players, that means that they can run some of these diverse schemes, take away stuff a little more readily, keep the quarterback guessing throughout the entire game. It's not static. So that means that Josh Allen's going to have to sit back there and trust to see the drawing windows that he's got and hope that Tyron Matthews not lurking in the middle of the field, as we know, is a very dangerous player. So I just think that they throw enough at quarterbacks and throw enough at number one receivers to make guys kind of move off of it, and you don't see them force-feeding very many wide receiver ones against this defense. Final question for me, Craig. For the fourth straight game, we've seen a corner blitz and a sack. 
Three times in the last three starts by Legereus Sneed, DeAndre Baker had one against the Chargers game. But that was the Chiefs' lone sack. It seems like Spags is dialing up when he's not getting the sacks from the defensive line or linebacker. He's been dialing up that corner blitz. We've seen that be successful now four straight weeks. Yeah, I, even Traverius Ward almost had one this week as well on top of the Legereus need one early in the game on a shot that the, that the Browns had dialed up. The Chiefs played perfectly. They've really done a good job against some of these run-heavy teams that like to go with heavy personnel and like to give a little more max-protect looks of having their cornerbacks trigger quickly and get downhill. A green dog blitz, you know, basically when they see their receiver staying in to pass protect, they they trigger very quickly. They get downhill. The linebackers do as well. I think you see a lot of the Chiefs' pressure this year has come from those things because they are smart players. And they trust guys to be able to pick up the slack when they have to blitz. I think you're just seeing an overall pressure package that's, that's incredibly good and a bunch of people that understand rushing lanes and where they need to go. And you're seeing the cornerbacks be the prime, you know, really benefit benefactors of that over the past four weeks. That's Craig Stout, defensive film analyst and special team analyst from arrowheadpride.com. Does great work there. Follow him on Twitter at BarleyHop. All right, Craig, we'll talk to you later, my friend. Uh, thanks, guys. There you go. There's Craig Stout. Thanks to Craig Stout for joining us on the Comfort Systems Heating and Cooling Hotline. 913-576-7610 is J Southland Tow Service text line. If you have questions for Pete Sweeney, send them in. We'll hit your questions next. This is Arrowhead Pride Radio, presented by the Kansas Lottery, 610 Sports Radio. Welcome back to Arrowhead Pride Radio, brought to you by the Kansas Lottery. Jay Binkley with the Editor-in-Chief, Pete Sweeney of ArrowheadPride.com. Huge thanks to Kent Swanson and Craig Stout, both from uh, ArrowheadPride.com, for joining us as they do each and every week. Don't forget your questions, 913-576-7610 or Jay Southland Toast Service. Text line, get your questions in for Pete Sweeney at Arrowhead Pride, and we'll address those next. Well, one thing I like to do is Pete questions. <laughs> it's like the reverse, reverse segment. Yeah, I, I especially like the one you asked the honey badger when you asked him about goal visualization. Yeah. I thought that was an interesting term, an interesting way to put things, Pete. Darren, you were caught on NFL Films talking about Ed Reed when you made that interception on the on the sideline. I, I just in, in that context, what has goal visualization meant to you, and, and what does it mean in, even at the team level moving forward as you guys push towards the second uh, Super Bowl? It's everything. You know, I think, you know, you visualizing, um, you know, obviously, you know, certain plays that you can make, um, certain moments. Uh, you just try to, you know, put yourself in those situations. Um, you know, I think for me, just being from Louisiana, you know, I was able to really, you know, watch Ed Reed, you know, up close and personal. And, you know, he meant a lot to his football team. Um, so for me, it's all about continuing to, to motivate myself, um, continuing to chase greatness. And, um, you know, I think anytime you bring up Ed Reed's name, you know, he's usually in a company of his own. So, um, you know, uh, he, he tends to get my heights, you know, set really high. Great question, Pete. Goal visualization. He really had a good game. I mean, you think Honey Badger's had some great games. And we always go, well, this is best. He is first team all pro, not pro ball. I'm talking first team all pro, right. which is huge. He really redefined the position. I talked to Trez about that on Monday because he's a Hall of Fame voter. I said, what do you put guys like that that inspire the Jeremy Chins of the world and Simmons and these guys? Mike Milano, like the safety slash linebacker type, he has redefined the position. But 
he stepped in front of a play, baited Baker Mayfield to throw it. It was a great pick, and he almost had a pick six in that game as well. Had he had that as well, might be one of his best games. And the best part about it, too, is it, it makes him a better player, and I, I think he still is improving and, and growing into one of the better defensive players in the NFL, but his attitude and the way he goes about it is contagious for a lot of these young players, and I think that sometimes you, know, you, you go and sign this marquee free agent and you could afford to maybe have undrafted free agent like Charvarius Ward, who you traded for, you know, at that outside position, or a guy like Legarius Sneed, the the fourth round pick in there, because you you know that Matthew's going to make them better. You know that Matthew's going to guide them. He's the best acquisition by the Chiefs in free agency since when or ever? Hmm, maybe Len. Yeah, Len was brought in. Maybe Len, right? But I remind people that year, Lynn started seven games of the Super Bowl 69 team. Mike Livingston actually started six of those games. But yeah, Lynn was a former Steeler, so that was huge. But I'm thinking Tyron Matthew. Sammy Watkins was big for this team, but Tyron Matthew Holmes. really changed the complexion of what Spags wanted to do. Keep in mind when Spagnola came in, it was new defense, new coaches, new scheme. Yes, Frank Clark came in, but... The Honey Badger really became that quarterback of that secondary. Really a big reason why the Chiefs won a Super Bowl. Yeah, I, I mean, if if somebody wants to say this was the most important free agency acquisition in, in franchise history, it's hard to argue. I mean, there's a few guys that you think about, but... Priest Holmes was huge. But. They go and win the Super Bowl. I mean, because yeah. the Super Bowl is the ultimate trump card. And if it happens again this year, it's hard to argue. Here's uh, your question to Chris Jones about uh, containing Josh Allen. Chris, I have a question about Allen as well. Based upon your meetings and, and your film work, it just seems like he's one of the stronger quarterbacks in the league as far as pocket presence. What do you think maybe the keys are, are going to be able to, to get contain him and, and get him down on, on Sunday? Try to collapse the pocket as a front four and uh, play fundamentally sound on the back end. You know, um, Spag Shoes, we have a, a heck of a game plan for us. And we play fundamentally sound and uh, limit our mistakes and force turnovers. I think we can contain these guys. Sounds easy, but it's, it's far from easy. <laughs> these guys are dynamic. You know, they got one of the better wide receivers in his game. And uh, Stefan Davis, he can line up all over the place. So, you know, we got to try to make sure we know where he's at. Him and Cole Beasley, one of the best slots in the game. And uh, try to contain those guys. You know what? Chris Jones was really, really instrumental on that play that stopped Kareem Hunt that forced them to punt. That last, and I think down. they punt because they knew Henny was a quarterback. That was their last play of the year. Their it last was, offensive it, play. It of was the year. huge, but Charvarius Ward made a huge play. But Jones was big as well. Four thirty-one to go in the game. Third and eleven to be specific for Baker Mayfield and the Browns. Six of twelve on third down conversions. Three wide to the left side. She's playing press. Overshot Breeland. Back to throw is Mayfield. Flings it in the flat. It is caught by Kareem Hunt at the 30 and taken down at the 33-yard line. Excellent open field tackle. Chavarius Ward played it very well. They were looking to try to get a pass to Kareem Hunt and have him break tackles in the flat. And an excellent job by one of the better corner tacklers in the league in Chavarius Ward. Great tackle by Ward, but Chris Jones instrumental in that play as well. Now, had they got five or six yards out of that in fourth and short, I believe they do go for it. I believe that if Patrick Mahomes was playing, they still go for it on fourth and nine. I think the fact that Chad Henney was over there forced their hand into punting, thinking they would get the ball back because the Chiefs would need two first downs. I think if it was closer than fourth and nine, yeah. I, I, I Probably fourth and five is where I think they would have started to to think about it, and it was just too far away. And 
that's becoming part of football now too, because it's becoming more common to go for it on fourth and short. So you got to keep that in mind too. Like not only do you really have to stop them in big situations, you got to almost stop them with yards to go because you know, if the game is on the line and, it, and it's fourth and three and may, maybe it's seven or eight minutes, it's just more likely for the team to go for it nowadays than it used to be. And a really lighthearted question, Eric Fisher. Eric, little uh, lighthearted <laughs> thing for you here. It's, it was recently the one-year anniversary of the Bud Light special celebration. This one was for you, I was wondering since then how many times has fans and I felt friends it. asked you about that and, and just reminiscing on that moment. Uh, yeah, it's, it's pretty funny. Um, you know, it was, it was a good, good memory, good, good time. Um, everyone keeps sending me these, these miniature me that are in like every store apparently right now, <laughs> everyone's taking pictures with me, uh, but I'm like this tall. Um, so that's pretty funny, but mini uh, Fisher. Yeah, it was, it was is he time. talking about a bobblehead? Uh, it'll be uh, I don't know, mini Fisher. I forever. Anyway, great question to Eric. Fisher yeah. There. I mean, listen, you are a guy who loves beer. You love to chug. And I figure we do the show together every Wednesday. You play the questions. Why not get one in there for you? All right, Pete, here's a question to you from the 954. Hey, guys, question for Peter. Jay, do we play Sneed or Breland primarily on digs? What is the magic number to hold them to? I say if we hold them to 70 yards or less, we have a very good chance to win. Neil and Lone Jack. I, I think it might be less than 100, and, and you still feel good about it because the Chiefs have this high-powered offense. You think Mahomes is going to play. And if Breland is good to go, I think you stick with Breland unless it becomes a problem, and then you maybe mix and match as the game goes on. But give him an opportunity on the outside there. Your best defensive chance is, I think, to keep Snead in that that slot role. And, and Diggs only plays the slot you know, a handful of times in it, during the game, depending on, on their looks. Who do they play if they win? Oh, I got the Bucks. Bucks. Tom Brady, Patrick. Is that the sexiest matchup, or is Mahomes and Rodgers? I yeah. think that's Carmelo and Michael Jordan. He wins the MVP. He wins the Finals MVP. That's what we're looking at here. Yeah, I want to see. I want to see Brady Mahomes. I want to see Mahomes with the opportunity to really take the torch right from the guy. That's Pete Sweeney. Check out ArrowheadPride.com. Thanks to Kent Swanson and Craig Stout for joining us. Also, make sure you listen to Pete Sweeney and Dusty Likens. Run it back at 5 a.m. Each hours. and every day. See you next in a couple hours, Pete.